1: Hey guys, welcome to the 80th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, storytelling, and directing. I'm Oren Kaplan. And I'm Matt Ilo. Today we're
0: answering a ton of listener questions. We're covering things about short films and financing and time management, all sorts of great stuff. You guys have been really engaged lately, so there's a ton of different diverse questions I can't wait to get into. We've got a stockpile. We're going to get through as many as we can. Um, so it's going to be great. But before we do that, Oren, yes. I've been dying to find out what have you been working on lately?
1: Well, so lately I was in Toronto. I was just in Toronto. It was my first time there and it was very fun. I went there to pitch a show. It's a show I've talked about on this show before many times, like this action martial arts series that we've been pitching for a very long time. Sure. And we got a partner in the US that uh, wants to make the show with us. But we are trying to get the budget to be bigger, so we are going internationally to find international partners. And in Canada, they make a lot of stuff, and it's pretty close to the US. So sure, we went to Toronto to pitch to some companies in Toronto, and it was really fun, and I learned a lot, not just about pitching. Uh, I learned about, so Canada has a 45% tax credit for productions that qualify for this thing called CanCon, mm-hmm. I don't know what that stands for. I'm assuming the can is con is Canada, and I don't know what the con stands for. Mm. But basically, they have this ten point system, and our show is going to be they call it a six out of ten, which means that we will get six points out of ten points to qualify for CanCon. So, I think it, it could be totally wrong about this, and I'm sure a lot of people listening to our show know more than I do. But I think please write in
0: or call them actually.
1: Yeah, so I know that for sure one of the points or maybe even two of the points we're going to get is by hiring all canadian directors mm-hmm. um, We on the writer front because the creators and the head writer and I are american We've already tainted the sure. the points for the writers can't be a 10 out of 10 anymore Yeah, so because of that we, we don't have to hire canadian writers. We can write in the us with all american writers so that really makes a huge impact on our schedule and travel and all that stuff. But uh, it was great to learn that. I think we get points for shooting in Canada, which we would shoot in Toronto probably. And I don't know if we get points or it's one of the requirements, but we need Canadian distribution. Because the whole point of Canada giving money to the arts is so that Canadians can like see can these see arts. It, yeah. So uh, it's really interesting and it, it's been really fun. So we, we met up with the Company that's going to finance the show. And then together we teamed up with them. We practiced the pitch a few times. They gave us some notes. They brought in some fresh people from their company that had no idea what we were pitching. That's fun. We got to practice the pitch to them and they had some questions. And I don't know, overall the feedback was really good. And it's just, it's kind of like a pain and laborious to pitch something. But it's also fun when you're done. Sure. Because like our very first time we pitched it, we had all had like our pitch written down on paper and we were like trying to feel natural, but also make sure we hit all the points. And now the last like two or three times we pitched like no paper. We don't even care if we like, we feel the room out if we need to give more details or zoom through things faster. You ride the wave, man. Yeah. And so one of the funny things is like there's a scene. I don't even know if it'll be in the final show, but one of the examples of the tone and and kind of the approach we have to the show that is part of the part that I pitch is where three main characters run into a gun shop. Right. But, you know, in Canada, I don't think that it's as easy to get guns. So the first time I was like, so they run into a gun shop and well, do you guys have gun shops? And they're like, well, we have like hunting shops. It's like, okay, they run to a hunting shop and they see all these guns on the wall. Well, are there guns on the wall? So like the first time I pitched it, it was like, I didn't know what the, what the <laughs> hell I was cookie. talking about. But the, by the last time I pitched it, I was like, they run into a hunting shop. but instead of grabbing the crossbow or the bear trap or the bear spray, they grab like this right. other thing. Um, so it's kind of like, I don't know if you remember that Seinfeld American Express commercial where he has to go through all, like he makes a joke about the seventh inning stretch and nobody gets it. And uh, so he goes all around London and England and learns all their cultures and tradition, and does a stand-up set again. And he makes some British reference, and everyone gets it. And I kind of felt like that, like I we were (laughs) like there's a part of the pitch where one of the other guys, Andrew, says that one the one of the characters wants to make a run uh, south of the border to escape and never be found. And I'm like, I think in Canada, if you make a run south of the border, you're just in the U.S. Right? So it's like very different than right. fleeing to Mexico. Um, so it was fun just seeing these really kind of subtle differences in our pitch in Canada <laughs> versus in the U.S. But Would the show take place in Canada or in the U.S.? Well, that was actually one of the, the part of the feedback that we got from our test audience mm-hmm. was that they didn't get a sense of where the show takes place. And they, the, our test audience was salespeople and they sell shows internationally. Mm-hmm. And so their questions were very much based on on that type of information. Cause when they're selling shows, they like to say where their shows are set. That's one of the right. main things they say. So we added that to our pitch, which is it's like, it's an, it's a little bit of a stylized location. It's an urban city mm-hmm. takes place very near future, kind of like handmaid's tale a little bit, um, but much more urban. And so we say it's a, it's like urban city, like high rises and people and bustles, but mm-hmm. it's very bustling and stuff. It feels slightly modern Maybe even a little futuristic. It could be like a Toronto or even like a Detroit or Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, so that we added that to our pitch after we were getting that type of feedback. Almost like a Looper
0: I rewatched. Oh, so yeah, I, yeah. Boy, exactly. that movie's good. Yeah,
1: that's a fun one. I told you about my friend Ken who wrote a logline about a group of USC film students that go back in time and write Looper before Ryan Johnson does. <laughs> no, that's a great joke. Yeah. That's, that's uh, pretty good. But Wait, did Ryan Johnson go to USC? I think so. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. He was in the same class as the guy that directed Donnie Darko. Um, I'm not the biggest Donnie Darko fan,
0: but um, what's his face? His character is, uh, P- Patrick Swayze is based off of, um, a professor. Uh, at USC Named Drew Casper Who's a legend Oh yeah. cool You can go check out A Casper class actually He'll, He lets anybody go
1: He's a real performer Anyone can go into a class? Mm-hmm. Yeah Oh wow The other cool thing That happened last week Is we had uh, coffee with Ulrich For making movies as well Oh yeah that's true And uh, You know I feel like I was trying to pressure him pretty hard to uh we, sure. we met at a coffee shop on purpose so that he would see that we like randomly know people in the coffee shop and, and how we, that leads we, we did to literally
0: run into somebody
1: yeah we ran into justin lerner who's been yeah. on the podcast as well to be fair we are neighbors and we were at the <laughs> coffee shop 30 seconds from my place yeah but, but that's the know, whole
0: point proof's in the pudding yeah
1: anyway so yeah let's uh let's get into it
2: hey matt and Oren, this is josh basler calling i'm a big fan of the show and uh just discovered the podcast a few months ago Uh, and I have a question for you regarding work-life balance. Uh, I'm uh, 40 years old and I'm working on transitioning on a career or from a career in music over to being a writer-director. My question is what techniques and strategies do you guys use for creating some sort of semblance of balance between your work and your life? Uh, I know Our type of work necessitates the constant hustle of writing and shooting and improving your skills and pitching and meeting with collaborators. So when do you set time aside to spend uh, with your wives or, in Oren's case, with uh, your daughter? Uh, How do you decide which hours to prioritize for what? Since technically, as freelancers, we could be working all the time and never really be done with work. Uh, I am married and have a six-month-old baby now, and uh, I'm working on juggling the part-time bill-paying jobs and uh, writing and film work, as well as the family life. So if you guys can give me any tips or insights, I would greatly appreciate it. Thanks for all the uh, inspiration and uh, tips and um, directing knowledge you provide all of us working and aspiring filmmakers each week. Uh, And hit me up on Twitter. I'm... Josh basler At Josh basler That is B A E S L E R. Thanks, guys. Bye. So hey. that
0: was Josh basler Thanks so much for I love I love getting the voicemails, man. I I feel like it's a better way to kind of uh convey the question to the audience, you know. So thanks for giving us a call, Josh. And also uh congratulations, man. Six months old baby. That's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, totally. So the question is how do we balance our works and our lives and I do feel like it's a topic that we've spoken about often. We don't. I don't know that we've given it.
0: Kind of put the nail on the head in terms of what you do, though. I think we we emphasize how committed we are and how much work we do, but not maybe strategies that we utilize to kind of uh, hazard that sort of situation. I think we're lucky a because we we're, we're both married to actors, so they get it. And I think it's probably a lot harder. When your partner is a person who's got a more traditional schedule, you know, that, mm-hmm. that I think can really make things complicated because like it's hard to realize, oh, we both have an hour or two more than we were expecting. Let's go for a long lunch or something like that, like kind of seizing those opportunities, I think is pretty helpful and it uh, would be a lot harder if you were married to an accountant or something.
1: Accountants, man. The yeah. most
0: generic job, according Eye to By the Matt. numbers. It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so my go-to, my go-to, um, because I don't understand it and I would be terrible at it, I think probably. Yeah. So, so six month old baby is, I think you're going to have to take every piece of advice we have with a big grain of salt because like, I think six months, like maybe they're kind of like sleeping a little bit more. I mean, you would know worry. Yeah, I mean, just answer that part of the question. Yeah, go for it.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, kids, look, man, I don't know, get a nanny. <laughs> that's True. Honestly, that's like the only thing that's worked for us because we were, my wife and I were going absolutely nuts because we're both freelancers trying to take care of our kid on our own. We felt insanely guilty paying for a babysitter while we were at home, like watching YouTube videos, which is my Number one example of something that I count as work, but somebody watching me do it would count as, like, goofing off. So, you know, the kids, when the, by the time they're two, you can send them off to daycare or school or preschool and think things get a lot easier. But, yeah, what you're saying is the, the most difficult part of juggling the, the relationships is our schedules are so right. uneven. My friend who I was with today is a police officer, so he works nights, he works weekends, he has a crazy schedule too, but he literally knows everything his schedule an entire year out every single day what hours he's going to work and sure there's overtime and there's events and there's these things but yeah so it's like for us i didn't know i was going to toronto the last three days until like a week ago you know and i have to tell my wife all of a sudden hey i know you have an an audition and you have an acting class and you're shooting this thing but we're gonna have to find a babysitter so get a really big roster of babysitters that's the other thing (laughs) Yeah.
0: Oh, and I think also maybe don't beat yourself up too hard when I think there's that sweet spot of just like a kid is extra demanding in those early months, you know, that like you're not going to get as much writing done as you want, you yeah. know, and, and that's okay. And I think just own it and like, um, you know, make do as best you can.
1: And also try to something I've always been trying to do is try to channel that stuff, you know, uh, monsters. Uh, Monsters, Inc. uh, was written by a new father. You know, take all those emotions that you're having with your wife, with your child, with your situation, with your life transition, and try to put that in your work and try to Mm -hmm. find a way that it makes, you know, your stuff uniquely you because of the experiences you're going through. I think that's, to me, that's the best way to cope with that. Uh, In terms of, like, just making time for your significant other, you just have to do it. I've been thinking a lot lately about how our work is like fun and we enjoy doing our work. And so when we tell our significant other, like, Oh, I'm sorry. You know, I got to work. Like you should appreciate that I'm working and making Mm -hmm. money. And like, while you're at home with the kid or like, while you're out with your friends Mm -hmm. on Friday night, like they're, yeah, they're like, "Mm, yeah, yeah, you're actually out having fun with your friends too. And you are lucky because you're getting paid for it. Yeah. 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 This is what you would be doing otherwise. Right. Yeah. So you have to really be sensitive to that. And when you are not spending time with someone that is counting on you for a relationship, you just got to really carve out this time. So I try to very, like if I'm going to work on a weekend or a Friday night, I tell Kara like, Hey, just so you know, I'm working this weekend and let's, let's go out to dinner on Wednesday night instead. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I try to be as interested as possible with like what she's doing. I mean, I am genuinely interested, but I want her to know that I care about what she's doing as much as I want her to care about what I'm doing and just being sensitive to each other and never, never like saying that an opportunity for me is more important than her. Sure. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I would say also just like, staying organized and being economical with your time, like really prioritizing just being efficient and being focused, you know, and I think to that end, uh, I wake up early I do that because my wife won't be awake. So I have zero distractions so that I can get the things that I need to get done, done early so that I feel the ability to relax in the evening when she comes home. And I'm a morning person, so I know that that's not true for everybody, but some people can be night owls as well. But just kind of like carving out a little bit of that time where you know you can get that work done, and then just like staying off of Facebook and stuff.
1: You yeah. know, when you have kids, it's tricky because you wake up early anyway. But I have a right this yeah. producer I work with, he wakes up at 5 a.m. every day, like an hour and a half before his kids wake up. Yeah, to write, yeah. and he goes to sleep at like 9 p.m.
0: It's not uncommon. You know, like I've heard of people getting up at four, you know, you're not getting any emails at 4 a.m. <laughs> yeah period um it's it's especially nice i get up uh, you know like i aim for it between 5 30 and 6 30. six has been pretty good lately because you're like i wake up i do coffee uh and then you're writing and warming up as the sun is rising which is really i think super good for p- your process
1: yeah have you read the creative habit that book I don't think so. No, of course I've been procrastinating and not, I didn't finish reading it, but I read the first couple chapters and it's about making your work a r- ritualistic, you know? Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's the other thing I find with like my wife specifically, like if I tell her like, Hey, every day from 10 AM to 2 PM, that's my time to write, to work, to take meetings, take lunches, whatever. Mm-hmm. So you can't, I, you can't plan anything with me during those times. But you know, I'm fully free after that. She would totally respect that. What she doesn't like is me, her saying like, oh, hey, let's go do this thing. And I'm like, oh, no, I, I have so much work. I'm mm-hmm. going to work. So it's it's hard. It, you have to yeah. think of yeah. multiple people's schedule when you're trying to be creative. But honestly, like all the people that work regularly in this business have set up some sort of schedule for themselves. It's not like on a whim. Yeah, so. I, I basically, I keep business hours.
0: And also, you know, sharing a Google calendar, that seems obvious, but like putting all of that stuff because you're going to have to have meetings and drinks and all of that stuff, you know, um, having that Google calendar is going to be a big part of it. And also, like I said, maximizing when you're not working, being able to hang out and,
1: and really being present and trying to maximize that time. Cool. Well, thanks for writing in Josh. Hopefully we answered your question. Next, we have Nathan Blackwell, who writes, I'd love to get some advice on how I can best use a half-hour TV pilot I recently wrote and directed, based off of my web series Voyage Trekkers, which is about the worst starship crew in the galaxy, to create new opportunities. It's in post right now and will be done in December. My goal is to make something that I was passionate about and to push my filmmaking career forwards towards writing and directing features or creating TV shows. But getting the show picked up as a series would be awesome, even though it's all always just been a bit of a bonus admittedly the orville kind of stole our thunder a bit haha ha. so my question is what advice do you have to best use this pilot my plan is to take it to film festivals that have episodic categories and and get exposure that way since i don't have any contacts in the industry i'm in phoenix so okay i guess let's boil down that question to you've made a web series how do you get work how do you that? get work yeah and i think you might have the perfect answer Gosh, I hope so. You know, it goes back to the adage of, like,
0: it's hard to um, replicate someone else's success. So, like, with in my case, yes, I made a web series, and that did lead to success. I think uh, it was kind of a launching point for me. But I I think Nathan is exactly right. Like, sending it out to film festivals is really helpful. Kind of building a, a homegrown audience will be really helpful. I think, fortunately... You know, we all know what it feels like to feel scooped by somebody else, in this case the Orville, but uh, sci-fi audiences are pretty hungry. Hungry. I don't think any sci- real sci-fi fan has been like, mm, there's only, there's one space show, so I'm good. I don't need more. You know, so I think that finding uh, finding your audience there would, would be really great. I don't know. I'm, I'm grasping at straws here. Or well, it's I weird.
1: Know. I feel like there's kind of two yeah. methods to, let's say you want to do a sci-fi show. And sell it. The one method is you produce the whole show, kind of like what you did with Squaresville, and you try to build your own fan community and you do it the hard way. You know, Facebook, Twitter, social media. Get your actors involved. It's a couple years worth of grinding. Yeah, yeah. And then try to sell people not just your idea for the show, but the audience and prove Mm -hmm. like it's a proven show that people like. That is, I I think the hard way um, to do it, but certainly it takes. A couple years. Yeah, but it might be more accessible for someone that doesn't have any connections. The other way is to just, you know, make the trailer or write the pilot with, like, the cold open, which is something that Nathan did do, and try to, make like, put all your resources into that instead of, like, an entire show, Mm -hmm. and then try to get people excited by the cold open and the script and just kind of start showing it to people. Put it on Facebook. Go to agents. You know, go to film festivals do whatever you can to get in front of people. And the TV world is tricky. You know, we always say like the really, the only way you can get a job in TV is to have already had a job in TV, which is like the worst (laughs) thing anyone can hear. Yeah. Not the most exciting, but you might off of a sci-fi spec pilot, get a job as a writer's assistant, you know, right. Um, On a sci-fi show or maybe be called in to pitch on some other web series I think it's about making stuff and getting plugged into the network, but what's tricky about a whole web series is it's really hard to get Hollywood people to watch your entire web series, right? So if you've already made the entire show, maybe the better bet, especially if you're kind of outside of the industry, is to try to amass an audience and promote it and get people to like it. Yeah, sci-fi is so tricky because it just takes so much time and money. Yeah, I'm um, watching the. I'm looking at the some of the material that Nathan sent us, and it. I mean, he definitely built sets and. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and really. Yeah, tons yeah. of visual effects and costumes, and this is not cheap, you know. Yeah,
0: it's a it's a ton of work, and I actually I think that I'm uh, Nathan and I met in Phoenix uh, at a film festival like two years ago, I think. <clears throat> so shout out Nathan. It's killer work you know i think it's just kind of a, a keep plugging along sort of situation um
1: <laughs> yeah just uh, I, I know i feel like our answer is not good but honestly even just like writing to us and like telling us about it and then uh us telling people to check out your show voyage trekkers and and give nathan feedback give us feedback of what you think he should do i think is helpful it's you know, you just got to network, show people your stuff. Yeah. And if it resonates with people, if it's good, it'll rise to the top. And if there's even just elements of good stuff in there, try to get more work based on that.
0: So, he, so I, I've managed to give the most wishy-washy answer ever, I think, on this show. So I apologize, Nathan. So here's a real thing that we can do. Um, so Nathan sent us some stuff. Either, Nathan, we can post the work in progress... If you want some constructive criticism from the rest of the Just Shoot it community, or uh, we can wait and you can give us an email and we'll post it um, from all of the social media once uh, once it's ready to rock. So there's a thing that you can do for sure. Um, that's some finite, tangible help.
1: Uh, and then you know, when we talked about Ulrich, One of the suggestions that I made to him that seems to have yielded maybe some results. Was to subscribe to Tube Filter, which is kind of the daily email about what's going on in the digital world, like branded content world, uh, you know, who's buying things, who's spending money and just see who's who's making sci-fi shows mm-hmm. and just email them and say, hey, I made a sci-fi show. Are you guys interested in meeting?
0: Yeah. Or, or seeing if there are people that you have in common with the people who work at those sci-fi networks.
1: Oh, right. Like looking them up on Facebook and see yeah, if you in common. Yeah. Yeah. Or LinkedIn. Yeah. Just take your work. I mean, it's like, there's always two parts to this business, like making stuff and then showing it to people <laughs> and everything else kind of flows from that. So show it to people. Go get it, Nathan. Um, okay, next. Uh, so Lord Gornak on mm-hmm. Twitter
0: writes, I just had a really late day of shooting. Any advice for what to prioritize during overtime? It's a good one. So you're in crunch time. Things are going pretty gnarly. You really just, you know, you got to make your day. You're cutting shots. What do you prioritize?
1: Oh, interesting. Uh, I guess it's really hard to give a general question or general answer to this. You know, I think from like a shot list point of view, you want to make sure it it depends. I don't know. It's like if you got two cameras, try to... Shoot enough of the scene like a wide and a close up so yeah. that you can cut something together. Um, yeah. I, I always say like fewer takes, more angles is like a, a pretty good adage, yeah. Though moving the camera is much more expensive sure. time wise than getting another take, sure. But I, I, but I think maybe yes. like an insert pass
0: is worth it as well, even if it looks bad, you know, just like one where, especially if you're on a zoom or something like that, like something where you're just stealing. Hands and feet, people grabbing things, picking things up, just kind of doing a a run where, you know, performance isn't really important. You're just trying to grab those little pieces, you know, because you can hose a lot of that stuff down pretty fast from one vantage point and it's worth it to do one more take. I would say that's pretty important.
1: Yeah, we talked about this on the podcast before, but I always like at the end of a take, especially if we have someone on a longer lens, like zoomed in to say like okay great uh, now can you just like pick up that thing from the table again and can you just and zoom in on the hands okay let's get the feet let's get the sign let's get this and mm-hmm. i'll just wrap it into the same take because i don't yeah. even want to like stop and explain to everyone what's going yeah. on i literally and your just want the camera operator, operator
0: will figure it out he's he's a he or she will be like ah, i see yeah.
1: i've done this before right you so know. pick up pieces to cut with if you have two cameras maybe send one camera out to get like establishing shots or other things you can Cut away with. establishing shots, man, and also just like talk to. This is something. A few of these things have happened to me before. Like really look at the DP and say, like, "Hey, I really feel like we don't have the scene yet. We're missing this and this. Can you help me get everyone to work faster and better and mm-hmm. be like united? Uh, I really appreciate everyone. And then also, if there is a client, you know, explaining to them the situation. It's really like a mixture of like communicating to people that, that they need to work fast because we're running out of daylight or whatever. And also editing in your head and coming up with something like if you don't need this perfect moving master shot, you know, that's that's what you do. Start cutting camera moves, start cutting angle, big angle changes. I don't know. I feel like it's like if you're already directing stuff on set, you kind of know all this stuff. Yeah. But still, you know, I think I would get
0: bogged down with trying to get the right performance out of each shot and like just move the camera. You'd, I'd rather have one take from two angles than three takes from one angle, even if they're not lit. Great.
1: Right. That's the thing. Like a really collaborative DP will let you shoot stuff that's not lit perfectly. Yeah. Well, thanks for the answer. That's awesome. I've got a tweet question. Yeah, thanks, Lord Gornack. Um, okay, Mark Golombeski writes Hey, guys, I have a few short film ideas that I'd love to produce in order to establish myself more as a writer director and practice developing my creative style. Uh, in previous projects, I wouldn't bat an eye at spending my own money, but I'd like not to break my bank if I don't have to, while also to be able to make my projects better each time around. Would you have any insight to finding funding for a short film, more specifically comedy? Yeah, I feel like all our answers are disappointing, but uh, <laughs> you know,
0: you know what? I actually I've got a good one on this one. So, um it's not the answer you want to hear. Finding money for a short films is going to be hard, right? You know about Kickstarter, when that's not news. Self-funding is typically the way to go, but I just had coffee with Tim Nakashi, previous guest. Um
1: what? And I was not invited. You were
0: not invited. I was like, I want I ran into him on the street the other day while I was like, literally like I had a list of things where I was like, I need to get back into music videos. I really want to do more music videos. Who do I know who does music videos? Oh, Tim, I ran into him that day. I was like, Hey, this is a sign. Let's go get a coffee. So we just got a coffee at a great keeping place over in Echo park. It was wonderful. The street level cafe, totally recommend it. Anyway, he made the point, um, just make a short for $1,200. That's a lot of money. Certainly. But it's not enough. It's not so much that it you can't scrape it together with like some odd jobs and this and that. It's enough money to get a camera, feed people. It's not enough money to pay people, but with you if you've only got twelve hundred dollars, you're not paying anybody anyway. And so it's all just a, a, a labor of love. So like it's an exercise in both finding the right collaborators that are gonna help you out and make this thing together and it's gonna be fun. It's a exercise in you know, pulling together resources. And also it limits the amount of pressure you're putting on yourself. You know, say you kickstart and you're going to raise 5,000, 8,000, 10,000, $50,000. Like you can get, you know, really high up there. You can spend a lot of money on a short film. If you think about it, mm-hmm. is it a good idea to do that? I don't know. You know, like, sure. Maybe it'll launch. It gets into Sundance and launches sure, your career. Maybe, maybe, but like a 12, a, a $1,200, Video, I think, is is money well spent without being totally impossible for most people, I think.
1: Yeah. The problem is with all capitalism, <laughs> once you start taking money from other people, their opinion counts. And so if you want to make something that is really you and unique mm-hmm. to you and follows your vision and it's not like your parents or your family giving you money just because they believe in you as like an artist and they're trying to help you then you know like let's say there's like a dp that's missing something for their reel or an actor that you're mm-hmm. friends with that's a great actor but doesn't have enough comedy footage they might want to come and help paid, to make this short film because it'll they'll benefit from it also but now they have a say in what the short film is like and what the edit is like so it's just kind of balancing that i, I don't know shorts I, I'm I personally like don't really like asking people for money for my own short films unless it was like a documentary about a topic that I think is like important for people to know unless it's like a message film. But if it's like a independent comedic short film, I would just try to scrounge up the resources and pay for it myself, honestly. But, yeah. but I would write to my resources. I'd have it take place in a location that I know I can get. I would you know, work with actors, cast that, your funny friends. Yeah. And yeah,
0: yeah. I think that's the way to go. And I think, um, yeah, that, that $1,200, that's kind of an arbitrary number. You can certainly get that down, but yeah, I know it's probably not the answer you wanted. No. I think it's not, not the answer out. you were hoping for, but I, I do think deciding on an amount of money that you have of disposable income, but that's meaningful, right? Enough money, like cash that's like you you would miss it if you didn't have it. Um, so like you're really committing to an idea and then going and shooting it with the resources that you have, that combination that we always talk about of scrappiness and then doing it right. It's kind of like finding your own version of that mind meld, uh, is empowering. And is, is a thing. The more successful you become, the more important it is to keep yourself reminded of and grounded of that stuff and that mentality.
1: So totally. And just to, just for one quick Hail Mary that I just thought of. There are companies like a Crypt TV that will give people like $5,000 to go make like a short creature horror Mm -hmm. film if they can own the the short when it's done. There are people like Dust, which is like a YouTube channel that's uh, owned by Gunpowder and Sky, does sci-fi films, shorts, and sometimes they will finance stuff. I mean, there are companies that make and distribute short films and you can find them. Um, they'll give you yeah. not a substantial amount of money usually. I, I feel like it's better to
0: to take what you have and say, hey, I basically have no money, but I'm going to feed you and I'm spending you know, the overtime money that I made last month on this. Let's make something cool together, guys. I feel like that mentality is much better than having $5,000, $10,000 because then it's enough money to sort of do it right and sort of pay people and that's where you get grumbly it's yeah. you know it's it's free
1: or full rate there's it's kind of that binary i made this short film for fox digital once and they gave me a thousand dollars to make it and everyone's like what this is a fox thing and you're not paying <laughs> i'm just like shaking my head so adamantly on that one that's yeah
0: that's simple. I don't know. That said, I love short shit.
1: films, and I think people should make short films, and I think it's the best way to show people what you're capable of. But, I don't know. Uh, just got to find the money and go make it. Yep. Don't waste the money that you have. Okay, cool. So, next question. Colin Levy, who uh, is a fan of the podcast, has always been on, also been on few other podcasts and is a very talented guy says have you guys ever considered hosting a meetup for your podcast listeners slash community not that you need to invent more projects for yourself but i bet you'd get a good turnout the answer to this is we've definitely considered it matt has been a little bit more optimistic about it than i have (laughs) to be honest but uh, i'm actually i'd love to bounce this question back to our listeners yeah let us know if you would like to get together in some way
0: um i think maybe we have some big benchmarks coming up the end of the year is coming up uh episode 90 i think will probably be our last of the year and typically we do like a panel episode for the end of the year wrap-up which could be fun but i thought maybe we could do an event with that as well well this is me spitballing with you orton yeah surprise uh, everybody this is the planning phase right here um (laughs) But yeah, I had the thought that that could be fun.
1: I don't know if people if people are into it, I'm totally down to do if something. not ninety episode a hundred is in March. okay, well yeah let's let's wait for feedback and then we'll we'll figure out how we do it offline. All right. <laughs> I've got some ideas everybody. Well cool Matt let's uh let's call it for now some good questions and kind of all over the range, which is nice. Please, please, please email us with more questions. We'll try to give equally vague answers. Um, but to me, honestly, I know this sounds like a joke, but it's not like the fact that there are no real answers is like what excites me about this industry and why I I, I like working in it. Why, why there's more than one episode of this
0: podcast. Yeah. It's a
1: real puzzle that is, You know, once you start appreciating that, figuring it out and that the longer you work in it and the more people you meet, the better you will be at like solving these problems of how to get work, how to get things financed, what to write, how to work with a team, all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, The more satisfying it becomes. So yeah, keep on writing us. Um, But before we get to the end, let's endorse some things for no money in a segment we call
0: Unpaid Endorsements. All right, so my unpaid endorsement, uh, season three of Rick and, Mort- Rick and Morty just wrapped up.
1: Or do you watch that show? You know, so I went to Toronto with these two guys right. that will not stop referencing Rick and Morty every two seconds. So I started watching it because of them. And I've probably seen the first five episodes of the first season, and I really, really love them. But... My wife is not into them at all. So I kind of have to find alone TV watching time. My wife was in a a play. Yeah, I I never have it. But my wife was in a play and it was like kind of lined up perfectly for
0: me to watch it. This season three is incredible. Like it gets better and better. So um, I guess I'm probably preaching to the choir on this one. But um, in case you were on the fence, it's like a nihilistic Doctor
1: Who. It's pretty great. Yep. Rick yeah, and it is. It's really smart, really clever. And a lot of like kind of inside-y Hollywood things. Uh, I was watching the Anatomy Park episode where uh, Rick builds like a, uh, an amusement park inside of a person. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. And one of the rides is called Pink Pirates of the Pancreas. And he everyone hates the idea. And at the very end of the episode, he's like on a conference call with some with the investors in the park and they're like, Rick, you know, we've been talking about it and like, we're thinking about pirates of the pancreas and the pancreas, does it have anything to do with pirates or is it just uh, a part of the body that makes insulin? And we, we kind of figured it's more of the insulin thing. So maybe you can kind of go back to the drawing board with that one and, and find something better. And it really reminded me of when we talked to Jordan Morris about how uh, people just overanalyze everything. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, Rick and Morty, I got to watch more of it and maybe I'll get more jokes that people are making. Uh, have I talked about song exploder the podcast? So I'm not sure if we've endorsed it before. I know I haven't because I just started listening to it. It's one of those podcasts that you do not have to listen to every episode. You can just like scroll through like Mark Maron, like, Oh, it sounds like it's a band you like, or some sounds interesting, but song exploder this is my theory on what it is. And you, I've only heard like three episodes So tell me if you know differently, but the guy that makes it, I believe is a musician and a producer himself. Mm -hmm. And he will interview bands like famous bands and bands you've never heard of. But like, I just listened to like a episode with the Lord and an episode with the killers. The first one I heard was some like Romanian band that I'd never heard of before. Um, but they talk about how they make one song and the real interesting part of it is that I'm pretty sure he gets their pro tools session mm-hmm. and he explodes it so they so he takes the song and he'll play one track at a time like how did you come up with this drum beat how did you come up with this guitar like how did you come up with this processing or auto tuning and so half of it is really technical mm-hmm. about how they literally how they made the song but the other half is it's all kind of intertwined but how they were inspired. Like, like, Oh, I heard this sound. I thought it was so cool. And I just like walked into the closet and recorded on my iPhone and I played it back for this producer I know. And then at Coachella, I met this guy that like had a voice that reminded me of that sound. So we like, just recorded him like going, you know, whatever. Like, and then they talk about the lyrics and they're always like emotional in some way. Um, the guy from the killers talked about how his wife had been, had gone through some things and he wrote, the song from her point of view she had like Mm -hmm. a ptsd type of situation and i don't know it's just like the so interesting and at the end they play the whole song you know it's like a three minute song it's like so filled with emotion and it's like you just spent 20 minutes hearing how all these elements came together and not one of these songs was like oh i just sat down and played some stuff and it was awesome yeah i
0: just had a cool idea and then uh, now it's a number one single
1: Yeah. They all like evolved over months of work and thinking and inspiration. And, and again, like if you know music, it's really cool. Like they'll talk about like, well, this wasn't a four, four beat, but it lined up in a weird way and I really liked it. But also if you don't know music at all, like, I like know a little bit of the technical side of music, but I'm not like a super, like, I don't remember band names or lyrics Mm -hmm. to the song. I'm not like great at like music. Um, acumen but this song makes me care about Sorry, sorry, this podcast makes me care about songs and music in each band mm-hmm. so much more than i would without listening to it so it almost teaches you to appreciate music sure. in the way that that one of your first unpaid endorsements uh about how to draw comics sure understanding comics understanding yeah. comics made me not really care about comics you care. <laughs> are you reading saga yet oran no you got to read saga man But I am reading freaking the disaster artist that was recommended on our podcast. And it is so good. (laughs) So hilarious. Like, did I talk about this? I mean, I'm laughing so hard. I like have to read the news. every. I'll read a (laughs) sentence in the book and then I'll be giggling. So I'll have to read like a news headline. Kind of like get me back down and I'll read the next (laughs) sentence. It's crazy. All right. Wow. Okay, so thanks for listening, guys uh, and gals. And we will catch you on the next episode. Yeah, you can email your questions if you want them
0: answered uh, to justshootitpod at gmail.com. Drop us a line on Twitter at justshootitpod. Check out us uh, on Instagram. We're posting old episodes and also pictures of our guests and us recording and all sorts of fun stuff at justshootitpod. Justshootitpodcast.com has show notes and all of the information that we talked about. And our unpaid endorsements and all sorts of other fun stuff. You can check us out on Reddit at, uh, at Just Shoot It
1: Pod if you want
0: to join the conversation, uh, and you can follow me at Mr. Mademo.
1: You can follow me at SmiteyPileg. This episode was edited by Jay McAuliffe.
0: Uh, We also have a webmaster, Ewan Williams, who's keeping uh, everything up to date and helping us out. Thanks,
1: Ewan. Yeah, and making the website a lot more helpful. Like We actually have the show notes posted and things we talk about are there. So
0: check it out. The music was uh, provided by the Free Music Archive and the artist, Jazar. Catch you next time. Thanks,
1: guys.